0: we're in um I was hoping I'd be able to finish this um at the at last year, and I've been preaching on the um first and second Peter since last year I'm just joking <laughs> um but we're in second Peter chapter three at the end of this book, and uh you know many of you know Peter's about to die um he, this is the last epistle that he he writes, and uh from this final chapter of his of this book, we understand that he's getting close to his departure. And the one thing that he's concerned about is that people will be pulled away by false teachers. And so he stresses that, uh, false teachings a lot. And then, um, and basically that false teaching would stem from denial of, of this, this one thing that, that we're going to talk about tonight. And that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And some would try to explain that away and some don't want to ever talk about it. You say the word eschatology, some people run Sometimes you say the word eschatology, and everybody wants to run to that. If your eschatology is more important than the gospel, you need to rethink things, okay? But here's what I do know. Eschatology, what does that mean? The end times, how we believe about the end times and what those are. Why do we talk about that? Because Jesus talked about that. And Jesus explained those things. And so uh, we call that uh, the rapture. And, And you say, well, that's not in Scripture anywhere. I am aware of that. But the word uh, that we get that word rapture from in the Greek is, and it's a taking out or to be taken away. And so um, if you want to break this chapter down, you can break it down into nice two two sides here. Uh, verses 1 through 9, Peter addresses the Lord and his delay. All right, the Lord and his delay. Everyone say the Lord and his delay. And then in verses 10 through 18, he writes about the Lord and his day. Everyone say the Lord and his day. All right, so the first part is about the Lord and his delay, and the second part is about the Lord and his day. How many know that the Lord will get his day? All right, whether we see it or don't see it, you know, he it, it will happen. So we're going to talk about this. If you need a subheading here, Um, you can write this down. It's the day of the Lord will come. Verse uh, 1, chapter 3 says this. Uh, This is now the second letter, letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by the way of reminder. How many need to be reminded sometimes? How many forget sometimes? I was watching It's a Wonderful Life and uh, George's uncle. He always has to have a string on his finger so he can remember certain things. How many of you remember that about that movie? Right, but it's interesting because in one Peter uh, chapter one verse twelve, he talks about this and he says, "Put these things to remembrance to the to the group then." And so he is reiterating something: Hey, you need to remember these things that I've already taught you. Uh, I, I'm writing you to stir up your minds to help you to remember what I've already taught you. Um, I tell you what, how many would say you have a good memory in here? All right, a few of you, all right, uh, all right, are you ready for this? I'm gonna put you to the test, no, I'm not gonna put you to the test. Listen, I have the memory of an elephant, I do, I have a memory of an elephant, uh, when I was six, my parents took me to the zoo, and there I saw an elephant, that's my elephant, okay, you guys, that went over everyone's head, okay, that's why you don't pay me to be a, 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 a comedian right there. Uh, here's another one. Listen to this. Isaac, read, this is for my computer people right here. Isaac reviewed the system, talking about, <laughs> talking about Abraham's son, Isaac. Isaac reviewed the system and stated, forgive me, father, but the system just doesn't seem to have enough memory. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide the ram. So all my computer people, you guys should be laughing right now. All right. Oh, man. Here's another one. Everybody picks on me because apparently my memory is so bad. But I can't remember. All right, everybody picks on me apparently because my memory is so bad, but I cannot remember the last time I forgot something. And so uh, how many would say, hey, you need to be reminded sometimes. How many of you walk into a room and forget why you walked into a room? All right. A lot of hands going up right there. That And so and so uh, Peter understood this about us, and he said, hey, you got to call to remembrance the things that you were taught and the things that you know, the things that you've heard. That's why it's important to pick up this Bible every day and read parts of it because you know what? We have a tendency to forget what the what the pages of this book says. And then when I go back and I review that and I say, like, God, you did say that. I remember you said that. Thank you for that. So um so I need a reminder and you need a reminder. Everyone look at your neighbor say, You need reminder. Now look at your other neighbor and say, Pastor needs better jokes, all right? All right. Verse two says this that you should remember. Uh, the the uh, predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. So um, the only way that Peter's readers could notice uh, heretical teachings or false teachings was to compare it to the scripture of the Old Testament and what the apostles had taught them. They didn't have this book. And so, how did they know what was what was false teaching and what wasn't false teaching by hearing what the apostles taught and by what the Old Testament told them? and so he so it's as interesting Peter here he puts his writing alongside the prophets of the Old Testament here. He's saying this: "Hey, uh, I have been inspired by the Holy Spirit." Uh, to write these two epistles because there's some things here that God wants you to know. So the same spirit that flowed through the prophet Isaiah flowed through Peter. The same spirit that pro- uh, that, that flowed through Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, and the prophet Daniel, and the prophet Ezekiel flowed through uh, uh, Peter as he is inspired to write this. It, it, and the same spirit that that flowed through all of these prophets also flowed through the apostle Paul. And 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 through Luke and John, Mark and and Matthew, and so we we look at that. So we have to know that. How many know that the Bible is d- divinely written by the Holy Spirit through man? It's the inspired Word of God. That's what we mean. All right. Verse three says this: Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. So, um, some people would say this: I've read the prophecies and. And I've read, uh, you know, several books about that predict the day of Jesus returning, right? Some of you can quote some of those books where people said, hey, the Lord's going to return on this day, and everyone gets all excited up to that day, and then that day happens, and then the next day, you know, and the Lord doesn't come back, and, and, you know, and, and so people see these things and and these well-meaning people, I think they, they have good intentions, um, but, you know, they, they really miss it because in Matthew twenty four thirty six it says, But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son. This is Jesus speaking. He says, But the Father only knows when that time is coming. And so, you know, as a believer, this tells me that when people write say, "Hey, the Lord is coming back on June 2nd in 2024," that tells me that they have not read or they have not applied the word of God to their life. Cuz this tells me that there's only only the Father knows when that time is to come. So, well people say this. They say, you know, oftentimes, "Well, it didn't happen yet," you know. Um, you know, some people thought, I remember Y2K. How many remember Y2K? Oh, the world was going to fall apart, right? Some people said the rapture is going to happen after Y2K in different scenarios and all that. And and, and, and that people say this, the rapture didn't happen. And, and they say, you know, you, you people are wrong. And they scoff and they make fun of the fact that the Lord has not returned. And Peter says this, scoffers, they are scoffing. And, and, and here's what happens. When scoffers scoff at the Lord because he has not returned, you know what they are doing? They are fulfilling prophecy right then and there. Because Peter says it right here that people in the last day will scoff when you talk about the return of Jesus Christ. And so when they begin to scoff, you know what you can do? You, the skeptic, the cynic, you can look at them and say, hey, you are fulfilling prophecy right now. High five. Prophecy update. Scoffers are scoffing, right? Right? So he's warning us and the early church to be ready for people that will, will scoff at this idea. So look at this, following their own sinful desires. Why are they scoffing? Because they are following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of the coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, Now, this is not giving dads, uh, uh, you know, don't fall asleep right now. I know some of you guys get on the couch at home. And you're out. No, that's not what that's talking about. This is talking about those that have died and went on before. Even though the fathers have fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So look at this. The root of skepticism and cynicism lies in a desire to follow one's flesh and fulfill one's lust. When I'm skeptic of the word of God, it's because I have some sort of agenda. I see people all the time do this. The Word of God says this, and I, I, I don't like it, so I'm skeptic of what it says because I feel like I should be able to do this. Well, that's not what the Word of God says. It doesn't change because of you. So a denial of the return of Jesus Christ allows people, look at this. When we deny the fact that Jesus Christ is not returning, this is what it does. It allows people to live however they want because it removes accountability to God. No concern. Oh, if Jesus isn't coming back, why why should we be ready? And you know the scripture tells us this that Jesus is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. You know what that means? That 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 is a beautiful thing. That means that God's not coming back after a broken moral church. No, he's coming after a pure and spotless bride. I'm going to get to that in just a few minutes, all right? Verse 5 says this. For they they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and through the water by the word of God. All right? Verse 6. And that by means of these, the world... That then existed was deluged with water and perished. So what is this talking about? Um, uh, God spoke this world into existence before you and I ever existed. Right? Before I even, you know, before I was ever born, God had already spoke these things into existence. Before you were born, some of you are old. Before you were born, and notice I didn't throw myself under there, right? Uh, but before you were born, God spoke this world into existence. You know, there was another time in history where people scoffed. And um, and this is alluding to that, is that day after day, how many remember Noah, in that story, he built the ark. For 120 years, he built this ark, and, and Noah built this gigantic ark proportion of prophetic illustration, and while he's doing it, he had people scoffing at him and saying, what are you doing, crazy man? Why are you building this? Oh, the earth's going to flood. Oh, these, these things. But And here's what happened. They were, they were not laughing when the flood began. And when the God closed the door, you know the story, they were banging on the door so they could get in. So, too, the world scoffs at us Christians who believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. It's interesting today, when I was in the hospital up there seeing Marla, I went, and I went to the elevators, and I, I saw a sign that said chapel, and I was like, my my interest peaked. I hadn't been to the chapel up there at the hospital, and I, I walked into the chapel, and the first thing I saw was, you know, this thing that says, we welcome all faiths, and I was like, okay, so I opened the door, and I go inside this chapel, and there I I see, um, you know, a yarmulke and and the Jewish prayer cloth laid out there. And then I look over, and then I see Muslim rugs in there. And then I, I go over to this counter over there. And there I see a Bible. There I see a Koran. There I see some, some kind of writing from a Buddhist whatever. And all this stuff, and I thought to myself, man, we are deluged. Because here's what I know. This is what the scripture says in Acts chapter 4. Verse 12, it says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which ma- men must be saved. What is that name? Come on, say it with me. Jesus. And I don't care what the world tries to cram down your throat and what society says, you know, we're all There is one way to heaven, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. John chapter fourteen verse six, Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the way. I am not a way. I am the way. And the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We say, Boy, boy, that's very exclusive, Pastor. It is. Because Jesus, that's just the way He He is. And the world scoffs at that and they make fun of us. But like, like the people on Noah's time, here's what happens: when we are taken out of here, they're gonna be they, eyes are gonna peek up, and people are gonna go, I heard something about this. I, I learned something about this. And so just like Noah's time, when people miss the boat of salvation, you know, people are gonna miss this moment to know Jesus Christ. Look at this, verse 7 says this. But by the same word of The heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So, just as the world was destroyed in the day of Noah, Peter says it will be destroyed again. This time, not by water, but by fire. You know, Jesus, or the Lord, uh, made, made a promise said he would never flood the earth again and destroy it with, 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 by flooding it. But, you know, here's what I've learned. Let, let people, you know, make memes about the church. Let people draw uh, cartoons in the newspaper about prophets of doom. And let people make jokes about prophecy and these things. But can I tell you this? I, I've decided I'm going to trust the Lord and I'm going to trust his word in all areas. Amen. And so look at this, verse 8 says this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Um, Here's what you need to know, and this is what you need to remember. God will accomplish his purpose. He will accomplish his promises, and he will accomplish his will. Uh, even if it appears or it feels like it's a long time in doing so, God will always come through. You know, I, I love this this statement. His timing is uh, is always perfect. The Lord's timing is always perfect, and this is I heard I heard this growing up from some of the old time pastors, and they would say it like this: The Lord is seldom early, but He is never late. Right when you're praying for something, God come through for this situation. He's seldom early, but but He is never late. He always He comes through when the time is right. So look at this. After after talking about uh, uh, the ridicule of the loss concerning the Lord and and His delay in verses one through seven, He shifts His focus here. Peter shifts His focus and He begins to talk about the restraint of the Lord. This is the restraint of the Lord. Look at this. To understand this, we have to we have to know. That the Lord uh, uh, completely transcends time. You know, that's hard for us to understand because we have a beginning and we have an end, right? God is the alpha. Jesus Christ is the alpha and the omen. He has no beginning and end. He was, he is, he always will be. That's hard for us to to fathom here on earth. But, you know, sometimes those things, are they just have to be a mystery to us. And when we get to heaven and we see him, we'll understand it and be like, I get it now. I understand this. Look at this, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient. Everyone say patient. Toward you. How many are glad that God has been patient toward you? Whew. Uh, uh, not wishing that any should perish. Everyone say any. But that all should reach repentance. Um, so this is what that's saying. The Lord's delay is not due to, to slackness, but because the Lord is long suffer. He has a long-suffering attitude towards his people. You know how I know that? He loves me. <laughs> you know how I know that? He loves you. He's long-suffering, right? How many of you deserve grace? How many are glad you get it? Amen. I, I, I mean, it's just a beautiful picture. And, and it says this, not wishing that none would perish, but that they all should reach repentance. This text, here's the thing, and, that, and this is what I need you to understand, and I, I mentioned this a little bit. You know, some people say there's multiple ways to get to heaven and all this. And that's called universalism, and that is a lie from the pits of hell one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ and him alone. But but here's the thing. We, we can't use this verse to say that, you know. This text doesn't teach universalism, but this references God's desire. You want to know what God's heart is? He loves everybody. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He loves you so much that he made a way out for you, whether you recognize it or don't recognize it, right? And this is a reference to God's desire, and obviously everything that, that a sovereign God decrees will occur. If God says it, it happens. If God thinks it, it happens. If God wants it to happen, it will happen. So here Peter is describing the sovereign God's desire that all people, he wants everyone to return to him. But God gives us this thing called a free will. He lets you decide, hey, are you going to follow me or are you going to follow your own way? Are you going to follow the devil? Do you, do you, you know, I heard, a, I heard growing up a pastor say it like this, and I love this statement. is you know, God cast a vote for you, the devil cast a vote for you, you hold the deciding vote. And you get to either link up with God or you get to link up with the devil, and you get that choice in your life. Some people say, well, I don't understand. God, God doesn't speak to me. He hasn't, hasn't spoke to me in a, in a long time, or I'm struggling in this situation. And, I, I, you know, my, my question is this, you know, in, in those moments is, you know, have you submitted your heart to God? Have you fully submitted your heart to God? Is there something inside of you that you have not given to him? That's why this says that all would come to what? Repentance. Oh, I hate that word. Because you know what repent means? Turn away, ah, you know what that you know what repentance does i 'm going to die to myself here because that 's what I really want, but i 'm going to get away from it that my pet sin that 's what I want to do, but repentance says no, I love you, Lord, more than I love that. willing to give that up, so look at this second Timothy uh, verses two or chapter two, verse three, and four says this. This is good and it is pleasing to the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4 says, who desires all everyone say all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And when I read something like that, all I can say is, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that. I don't deserve that, but thank you. Thank you, Lord, for being so loving and long-suffering towards those who don't know you. And this shows God's nature. And, and 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 honestly, as a believer, this should bring an urgency within. If you know Jesus as your personal savior, that should bring an urgency within you to tell everyone else about Jesus Christ so they can know. Verse ten says this: "But the day of the Lord." Everyone say, "But the day of the Lord." Okay. So after speaking of the of the Lord's delay in verses eight and nine, Peter talks about the Lord's day or verses 1 through 9 he actually talks about all of that but specifically in 8 and 9 the Lord's delay but the Lord's day for prophecy if we look at prophecy to make sense and I'm going to help you out here you can write this down listen if you look at scripture this, this will help you out there are four things four days you need to know about prophecy okay four things you can write these down and four days everyone everyone say right here number one the day of man the day of man what is that so begin with me in the Garden of Eden when God gave man the privilege, gave man the opportunity to steward the planet. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, you can, you can go back there and look at that. But, but when Adam and Eve chose to listen to Satan rather than obey God, the day of man became a total disaster, right? How many know we live in a, in a fallen world? You live in the result of this sin. You know why there's disease, you know why there's famine, you know why there's struggle, you know why you have to sweat to work and all these things and stress out at work because of sin. And so the day of man became a total disaster and it characterized by, by famine and starvation and disease and war and death. How many of you know that we see that every day? Just turn on the news, right? Just got to turn on the news for five minutes and you'll get most of those covered. Here's the second day right here, the day of Christ. Everyone say the day of Christ the day of christ this will this will begin when jesus appears in the cloud to meet his bride in the air i don't know about you i am looking forward to the day of christ oh which will begin, this is what happens, it will begin when Jesus appears in the clouds with his bride, and this is what happens, And okay? And if you don't, if you believe in post-trib or whatever, listen, this is what I believe. I believe that God is going to bring us out of here, and he's going to bring us out of the tribulation, but after that, for seven years we're gonna have a honeymoon with Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ in heaven. And First Thessalonians says it like this. This is Paul reiterating here what what, what Peter's talking about here. He says this in First Thessalonians chapter uh, 417. Then we who are alive who are left will be what? Caught up together. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. I don't know about you. Heaven gets a little sweeter every day. I think about heaven every day. I listen, I know you're like, man, Pastor, you're awful young to be thinking that way. But I promise you, if you keep an eternal perspective on things, this world, man, you'll realize this world has nothing to offer you. You'll understand that. Look at this. Here's the next one The day of the Lord. Everyone say, the day of the Lord. So after the day of Christ becomes comes the day of the Lord, which is the beginning of the tribulation, and God will intervene in human affairs. Joel chapter two, if you need a reference, Revelation chapter six there, and and what happens there? This is the uh, um, the tribulation, and this is the extended time period of time called the millennium, and which is a thousand year reign. Okay, and so this the day of the Lord, and so God's going to come in, and, and all these things are going to happen, and this day starts. Uh, uh, dark, but gets brighter and brighter. Just as uh, you know, I, I don't know if you, many of you know the Jewish day begins at sundown and works its way to the dawn. So it goes from from dark and it gets brighter and brighter. Okay, ours is opposite. Okay, we go from light to to dark. So, but I don't know about you. I like that. God, God has a plan. All right. Here's the next one right here. The day of God. Everyone say the day of God. So the fourth day is found in, in, in a few verses down in, in verse. Uh, 12 of this chapter, and it begins after the millennium, and and because heaven and earth have been polluted by the presence of Satan, okay, this fallen world that we live in, the present heaven and earth will be done away with and replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. All right? And so that is the day of God, all right? So uh, everyone say the day of man. Everyone say uh, the day of Christ. Everyone say the day of the Lord and the day of God, okay? So we have this understanding of this. So look at this. So the next next bit of scripture, what is that? Chapter 10, uh, uh, verse, verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come, and it says, how will it come? Like a what? Oh, like a thief, uh, like a thief. So um, uh, the day of the Lord rather than the, the day of Christ, the, it will come like a thief. Here's what we know. If you're not... How many have ever had something stolen from you? How many hate that? How many know it's aggravating when somebody steals something that you've worked hard for and then they they break into your house or whatever, they break into your car, break your window, steal your change out out of your cup holder, break your window to steal your change? You know, I had a guy in Bakersfield one time, man, poked a hole in my gas tank to get gas, and I, if he would have come to my door, I would have went and bought him gas, you know, because it end up costing me way more money, you know, than it would have been. But here's the thing, uh, the scripture says this, that like a thief in the night, and, and here's, here's what we know, the scoffer and the unbeliever will be caught off guard, but the believer won't be, won't be shaken by what we call the thief in the night, because our eyes, we're looking for Jesus we are already got our eyes focused on Jesus, you know. We're, we're thinking about, hey, come, Lord, come, Lord. We need you to come. So look at this. The believer, he's watching for his coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4 says this. But you aren't in the dark about these things. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, hey, you know what's going on. Dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. You know why? Because when he, Christ takes us out of here, whew, bye. I'm out of here. So how many, uh, some of you can probably relate to this. My parents made me watch this series growing up, and it was called A Thief in the Night. How many have ever watched that? Scared me to death. Honestly, at the end of the, the the movies, it was it's about the rapture and and the tribulation. And I mean, I watched it as a teenager, and I and I thought at the end of the movies, it says, you know, if you don't know Jesus as your, per- I was like, okay, Lord, I'm gonna go ahead and just make things right right here right now, just in case. I remember watching that, but He'll come as a thief in the night, and it says this, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. So, the Greek word for roar. Or, or it, it may, if you have a King James Version, it may say uh, great noise. I'm not sure. But it's the Greek word there is roar, or it's like a wind of fire. Have you ever been around a big fire? You ever been around a really, it, you can hear it roar, right? So it'll be like that. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. So the Greek word here for heavenly bodies is element. Everyone say element. And, and this, this Greek word, which I'm not going to butcher and try to say it starts with an S and ends with an N, it's like stoikion or something like that, okay? And it refers to the letter of the alphabet, alpha, beta, gamma, you know, most of you guys know, know those. But, but here's, and, and it means this, it means element, it means those things. So all things, everyone say all, will be burned and dissolved. It's interesting, really interesting. So look at this. And the earth... Uh, and the works that are done in it will be what? Exposed. A little bit of history lesson here. On December second, 1942, on a cold, wintry day at the University of Chicago, Chicago's Stagfield, Oppenheimer, Firm, and Einstein tested their theory that if uranium-235 was bombarded with uh, neutrons, energy would be released and it was. Moving ahead here. Look at this. Moving the experiment to the desert in New Mexico in July 16, 1945, engineers were shocked when the 10-inch rail metal used to drop the nuclear device was immediately vaporized, shooting debris seven miles into the air, 1,800 feet in every direction with heat so intense that it turned the suran- surrounding sand into glass. And from that moment, the nuclear age was born. Interesting, right? And, and honestly, many up to this point had, had thought, how are elements going to melt? There's no way that elements can melt. And, and while, you know, here's the thing. While the fear of nuclear annihilation is scary, what Peter is talking about is mind-numbing scary when you think about it. Because this is what it says. And I talked a little bit about this on, on Sunday. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that all things were, are held together by him. By the Lord, he holds all things together. Now, just a little bit, I'm not a science buff, but I find this stuff kind of interesting. But uh, Coulomb's law of electricity states that charges, uh, like charges, repel each other, right? Opposites attract, right? We, we've heard that. What keeps, and this is the question then, what keeps the positive charged protons in the nucleus of every atom from pushing apart? It's interesting when you think about this, and maybe you're smarter than me, maybe you can explain this to me. You know, the scientists, they, they don't really have an explanation for what is making these things, because we know, uh, like particles, they repel each other. So what is keeping these things together? And scientists, they don't really know how to say this, so they just say, ah, oh, it's atomic glue. That's what their, their loose, loose term is. And so we, however, know that, that in Scripture it tells us that by him all things what? Hold together. That he upholds all things with the word of his powers. What Hebrews 1.3 tells us. It's amazing to me, you know, as a believer, I believe that God keeps us sustained. I believe that God keeps us by his hand in everything. Uh, but, uh, you know, here's what we know. I, I, and, and maybe you believe this. You don't have to believe this if you don't want to believe this. But, but I believe there's a day when the Lord lets go of those things, and things are destroyed and obliterated and done away with in, in the day of the Lord. Look at this, verse 11 says this, since all things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in, in lives of holiness and godliness? So, and everything we strive on on this earth will just eventually be dissolved Some of you say, well, what should be my priority then? Well, that should help you think. You know, if things that you own will just be dissolved, you know, uh, it makes you think. There's a rabbi, his name is Chaim Herzog, and and he's a prominent scholar and a lover of the Torah. And he, he lived in the old section of Jerusalem in a small apartment containing only one chair, one desk, and one bed. So he had a very small apartment, one chair, one bed, and one desk. And, and and this lady came to see him, a prominent lady from New York, and she said, Rabbi, is this your house? And uh, and she was from New York, and he said, yes, it is. And she said, uh, well, where is all your furniture, she asked. And the rabbi quickly asked her, you, you know, uh, the rabbi quickly asked the lady from New York, he said, where is your furniture? And she said this. She replied, I don't bring my furniture because I, I'm not from here. I'm not from Jerusalem. I'm, I'm from New York. I'm traveling, in which the rabbi looked at her and said, Ha ah, So am I. And honestly, the things of this earth will pass away. They'll disappear. All the money in your bank account, your kids will spend it. The world will spend it. The government will take it. Right? Your house, there's houses that were built that people endured that are falling apart right now. Those things will disappear. The message of the Bible from cover to cover is this. Listen, it is this from cover to cover is this. We are pilgrims and sojourners traveling through this earth. And why we live in this earth, man, it may seem like a long time to us. It's a little blip in compared to eternity. It's a really small small piece of eternity. So so God can bless you. Listen, you say, Pastor, I shouldn't be blessed with the house and the car. No, 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 no. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I think, you know what, you ought to do what you can, have the, have the best things that you're able to have in a budget. Come on, some, come on somebody, right? Um, but here's the thing. They shouldn't be the highest priority to us because those things will dissolve. Peter is telling you and I, hey, keep your eyes on the big picture, Look at the coming day of the Lord. So look at this, verse 12. Waiting for and hastening for the for the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Everyone say fire. <laughs> the Greek text is that we don't uh, look for the, the day of God passively, but that we actually... Uh, you know, and this is interesting, have the ability to speed it along. You say, well, time out, Pastor. How can I, how can I make it get here faster, right? Is that if God is sovereign, and we know that God is sovereign, how can I make it get here a little bit faster? So I'm going to give you two examples. There's, there's plenty of examples in Scripture. But, but the Scripture, we see a sovereign God affected and impacted by His people and their cooperation, you have a role to play. Look at this. How you remember this? The 12 spies that Israel sent into the promised land, right? When they sent them into the promised land, you know what? How many came back with a good report? Two. Dos. Two. Caleb and Joshua. Hey, there's giants over there. There's huge grapes. Well, we can take it. Let's go. Let's go. Right? Ready to, take, ready to take the promised land, what God had given them. How many said no? Ten. Ten, ten said no, and look at this. Th- look at this process. Because their their hearts would not trust the Lord, the ten, th- the ten made made them not be able to go, and they slowed the timetable of them going into the promised land by what forty years. God said, Oh, okay, this generation is going to die out. You guys aren't going to get to see it. So look at this. And here's another one. In 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 Nineveh, in, in, you know the Lord told Jonah, Hey. I am going to des- destroy Nineveh in 40 days, right? And you remember the story of Jonah. He's like, I don't want to go. He tried not to go. He went the opposite direction, thrown overboard by a storm and all that good stuff. You know the story. Got in the belly well, thrown up on the, on the shoreline, goes into Nineveh, and he's like, I don't want to tell these people to repent because, God, I know your nature, and I know what you're going to do. You're, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to judge them like you need to. And this is what the scripture says, the people repented and God chose not to destroy the city. You know, your prayers have power. You know, the sovereign God of the universe likes to listen to you, likes for you to be in tune with what he's doing and saying, hey, ah, I hear that. So what does that tell us? God is sovereign. Yes, God is in control. But here's what he does. He factors into his sovereign plans, the attitude and the cooperation of your hearts. Knowing this about the Lord, Peter tells us that we can hasten his return. How many of you guys are tired of, of the world? How many are tired of disease? How many are tired of pain and sorrow? And, um, You know, Peter gives us two ways that we can hasten the, the day of the Lord. And 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 the way that we can do that is this: we can hasten the day of the Lord in our prayer, number one prayer, everyone say prayer, in teaching us to pray, Jesus said this um and in Matthew chapter six, verse ten, he said this that we ask that his kingdom come, not my will lord your your kingdom come, your kingdom come in revelation, Jesus says this. Behold, I what? Come quickly. Thank you. Behold, I come quickly is what it says in Revelation. And you know what? how John responded? Even so, Lord, come. Come on. Hurry up. I like that. Bring it on. Prayer influences the timing of God, including the coming of his kingdom. Look at this. Secondly, the day of God is hastened as we share. Everyone say share. Number one, prayer. Number two, share. According to Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the Lord adds daily to the church as should be saved. And that means this, that there is someone in the history of mankind who will be the last soul added to the bride of Christ. I don't know who that is. You don't know who that is. The Father does. And when the bride of Christ is complete, the Father is going to look at Jesus and say, Go get your bride, go get your bride, and so when we when we tell people about Jesus and they are saved, you know what we 're doing we're bringing us a little bit closer to the return of Christ every time we do that so so that's a hasten for both of us. Everyone say we should pray and we should share all right um, so the, this hastening is good uh, for the future. But it's also good for the present. See, when we hasten those things, when we pray and we begin to share, this is some things I just want to point out here. Here's some things that come from this, this process to us individually. How many want something good to happen to you? As we pray and we hasten the day of the Lord and as we share and we begin to tell people about the coming of Jesus Christ, this is what happens to us. Number one, we are uh, purified. Everyone say purified. John three three tells us, that he who looks for Jesus' coming purifies himself. Interesting. You know how, you know it's like this. If I get in the car and I drive to town and I get to town and I realize that I have forgot my wallet, I slow down in my car. You do too, right? Because you know if you get pulled over and you don't have your wallet, Drew's there, you're going to get a ticket. Someone tell me today they saw me in town flying by somebody. I won't point that out today. I was I was in a hurry. I don't I so I, I said and I, I told this person, I said, it's you know it's funny. I said you never know who's watching. You never know who's watching. And I was just driving and anyways, all right. All right. So so what happens is when we know that the day of the Lord's coming, we we purify ourselves and say, God, I, I want to be ready. I want to be pure. I want to live right. Look at this. Number two is peace. Everyone say peace. The one who looks for the Lord's coming, uh, here's what happens. When we're looking at the big picture of Jesus' coming, we don't worry about all the small stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, man, this world's terrible. It is, but guess what? Heaven's right there. Whew. This is bad. That's good. You know what? I got my eyes on that. The news is just the news. and And, and, and you know, here's what I know. No matter how bad things get, one day I'm going to be out of here. Uh, and here's what I know. I don't have to be uptight. Oh, come on. Somebody need to hear that. Some of you need to not be uptight because guess what? You ought to have the peace of God because something better's coming. You know, it's kind of like the last day of work before you go on vacation, right? Are you really working? Probably not. Your head's already headspace is already thinking about the beach down in Florida. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And your boss is like, get out of here. You're not any good today. Just go. You know, that's our thing is we don't have to worry about what heartache there is in this world. Yeah, things happen. I understand that. Things can try to steal our peace. But this is what I know. I I begin to understand why my great-grandma was the way she was. She always talked about why did she always talk. When I was young, I didn't understand why she always talked about heaven. Because she knew and she saw the big picture. Here's the third one, purpose. Everyone say purpose. When we are looking for the Lord, we understand our purpose of building his kingdom. Why? Man, so that none should perish. You know what my goal is? Tell as many people about Jesus in my lifetime as I can. Hey, are you good at it? No. But you know what? I'm going to get better. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to be led by the spirit. You know, here's what I know is when, when we live with the kingdom purpose mind. We don't have to get our way, but we, we live in His purpose. Here's what I've learned about living in His purpose. It is never boring. It's never boring. I, I can promise you, go with me sometime to the hospital. There is never a boring moment. I, I run into people all the time. and, and I, Today I had this beautiful conversation with this gentleman who was taking me up to the room. He was guiding me up there as a, a volunteer, and, he, and, and I said, I thank you for leading me up here. I said, usually my wife's here to direct me, and he chuckled at me. And he said, yeah, I had one of those wives, and uh, he said, you know, we were married for 56 years, and he told me 56 years, five months and 10 days. I mean, he had it down, to. and I thought, man, what, this, this guy is beautiful, and, and he was having a good, I was having such a beautiful conversation with him, and I left that moment encouraged by this gentleman who I don't know his name. But a man, he led me to the room, and I was like, thank you, sir. And he said, you're more than welcome. And I said, thank you for volunteering here and doing what you do. So we have our purpose, right? Our purpose is to to love on people and, and to do that. So hasten the day through prayer as we share. Look at this, verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for uh, the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Why a new heaven? Why a new earth? Because that last line right there where righteousness dwells Isaiah sixty-five seventeen says this for behold I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind this new heaven and new earth guess what we're not going to crave anything about this earth because that new heaven that new earth is going to be perfect the Hebrew word there in, in Isaiah is bara, and bara refers to the act of creating something from nothing. Only God can create something from nothing. Science even tells you that you can't create something from nothing. Only God can create something from nothing, and so only God can, can do that. So the, the new heaven and the new earth are not remodeled or renovated versions of the present day. Amen? They're brand new. How many like brand new? I love the smell of a brand new car. Till the payment gets there. When we get into the new heaven and the new world, listen, man, it's going to be beautiful. Here's the final words of, of Peter, right here, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent, everyone say diligent, to be fond by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So, this is the third time in this uh, uh, chapter that Paul or that Peter calls us the beloved beloved okay this is interesting in light uh, of the Lord's return Christians are to be diligent and found without spot or blemish so doctrinally speaking and morally pure and and that's to uh, we have to do that to obtain eternal life so this is that mentality is the opposite of the wicked right because we know we have to be without spot and we're a perfect pure spotless bride well the wicked are not oh they're they're not but but we are to make every effort to live holy and godly. Come on, somebody that means that I should not live a life. I know God's grace is there, but that means that I should willfully not try to sin. Oh, I didn't get any amens on that one. No one likes that one, right That means I should live a life. And God has given me the tools to be able to do that. And so look at this. As a sacrificial animal in the Old Testament, we're to be without spot or blemish in God's sight. The New Testament or the New Covenant believers are to be without moral defect before the Lord. And the only way that you'll be without moral defect before the Lord is through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you something. This is my Bible right here. There's something in my Bible. Can you see inside my Bible? Do you know what's inside my Bible? I'm going to show you something. If I open this up, I have this tissue. And this is like the sin in our life, and this is what Jesus does to us. He covers us. And when the Lord looks at us, he doesn't see the old stinky, ugly tissue that I rub my nose on. But he sees the blood of the Lamb. Amen. I, I love that. That's, that's good stuff. So that means repenting when we sin and, and, and repenting uh, our sins so that we can be made white as snow. Verse fifteen, sixteen says, say this, and count uh, the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Verse 16, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Peter right here what he says about Paul there are some things in them that are hard to understand um so Peter and Paul they had an interesting relationship really um in Galatians 2 we read that Paul rebuked Peter for his failure to fellowship with the Gentiles when the Jews were there uh Peter was was nice to the Gentiles and when the Jews came in Peter was like oh i got to go talk to this group. I can't talk to the Gentiles. And, and so uh, Paul says, hey, I, I called him out on that. And here Peter tells us that Paul's writings are hard to understand. You know what these guys remind me of? Two brothers. They're trying to accomplish the same thing, but one's like, well, you're hard to understand. Well, you don't like this group of people. Right? So, Oh, man, it reminds me of my, <laughs> me and my brother so much. You know what? They love each other uh, to the point that, that, that they know each other's flaws. But here's the here's the difference. Here, with with different callings and different methods, Peter uh, to be called primarily to the Jews, uh, be, Jewish believers, and Paul to the Gentiles. They they served. And here's what I need you to understand about these two guys right here. This little bit of scripture they illustrate to us that it what it takes to uh, what takes place in the body of Christ. What is that? That both unity and diversity are in the body of Christ. Not every preacher is going to preach the same way. Right? Not every church is going to be the same thing. You know what? We're going to do we're not going to talk down on people. We're going to be like, "Hey, you go get the harvest that God has promised you." So look at this, which which the ignorant and un, unstable twist to their own destruction. So twist here in the in the ESV is rest in the, in the King James Version, and that means to torture or to distort. Those who twisted Paul's words were his enemies, the legalists, um, who accused Paul of telling people to sin that grace might abound. And, and, you know, you can look that up, Romans 6, 1 through 2, it says this, that, that what shall we say then? Are, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's asking this. He's kind of being a smart aleck. And then verse 2, he gives the answer here. He says, by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it so look at this as they do the other scripture uh, there are those who contended that the early church didn't uh, accept or recognize Peter's uh, or James or, or or Paul's writings to be inspired and, and, and the inspired word of God but such is not clear here because Peter's placing Paul's writings on the same plane of scripture here he's saying hey My brother Paul, we may have our differences, he loves the Lord and he loves you. So Peter knew that they were equally inspired. Verse 17, I'm I'm almost done, I promise, all right. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with your air of lawless people and lose your own stability. What would I want to say about that is this, beliefs affects behavior. Beliefs affect behavior, right? That's a true statement. Your beliefs affect your behavior. It is equally true that your behavior affects your beliefs. So Peter warns us, hey, I, I know you know the truth, but be careful because if you choose to live in carnality, you'll you'll eventually change your theology, theology to justify your sin. When we get to that place, we got to say, hey, God, forgive me. Look at this verse 18. But grow in the grace, everyone say grace, and knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of what? <clears throat> Peter's still talking about eternity. Amen. So Peter closes this letter by not saying um, grow in devotion. It's not, I mean, that's not a bad thing. Devotion's not bad, but it's not the point. He doesn't say grow in zeal okay nothing wrong with zeal but it's not the point he doesn't say grow in holiness he, he you know holiness is good there's nothing wrong with it but but he closes this simply by saying this grow in the grace of God and I love this this is a great statement is this grace is not the starting point it's the only point of the believer amen amen how many are how many are thankful for the grace of God I mean, I there is a lot to unpack in that little little chapter, and I I cut a lot out of there. So you can be thankful for that, Amen. All right, we'll come back in another day. Someone said, "Yeah, over there." I don't know who you are. I'm praying for you. All right, uh, but uh, if you have a need tonight, how many would say, "Hey, Pastor, I got a need," and we just want to pray.